Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of an unexpected podcast. And uh, today, oh, I have my co-hosts Rainier, Evan, Matt, and Mick, and uh, we're bringing in the subject of how to beat this infamous assault on Lothlorien Legion. All right, so that's what this episode is going to be about. We're going to be talking about how to beat it, how to play it, go in depth of this Legion. Uh, but before we do that, we're actually going to be doing a list review. So for those of you who don't know, we take lists that you submit on our YouTube channel. And uh, for those of you who are watching on the YouTube channel, comment below your list. We will review it for the first part of every single episode. We do that, and then we move forward into the main topic. And with that being said, Matt, what is the list we have today? Uh, okay, so uh, the list we have today, as well as this episode, will be brought to all of us by the letter D. The letter yes. D is in Devin Moreno. <laughs> all right, so let me put that up on the screen. That is, uh, I feel like this this picture of me is more attractive than my real face, so I'm going to use this from now on out. All right. Um, so, uh, so Rainer, you know what actually didn't get sent is whose list this is. Who is Whose list is this? This is a guy by the name of Jerry de Brouwer, and he is from the Netherlands. I think okay. it's at the end of the list. Oh, okay. All right. Um, all right. So uh, Jerry says, hi, guys. Thanks for reviewing my list. I used it a couple times, and it worked out very good. Now I have a 600-point tournament coming up, and he's still doubting what list I'm going to use. So he's given us two options here. Uh, so option one, uh, these, are, these are both... Um, uh, Numenor or Rivendell alliances. So option one, Alendal on horse, who is the leader as well. He should be six Numenorians with shield and spear, four Numenorians with shield, a restor with uh, three elves with spear and bow, four elves with shield, one elf with spear and banner. And then we have Kirdan, three elves with spear and shield. And that comes out at uh, 24 models and six might. Then we have option two, which was Alendil, uh, also the leader, eight Numenorians with shield, six Numenorians with spear and shield, one Numenorian with bow and spear. Uh, we have Arrestor, uh, again, one banner with spear and shield, two knights with shield, two elves with bow and spear, four elves with spear and shield, three elves with shield, coming out at 29 models and five might. So he knows the scenarios here. The scenarios will be domination, seize the prize, and lords of battle. Um, so those are the those are the two. He says um, his lists. name down there, Jerry De Brouwer, and yeah, from Jerry the Netherlands. Is it okay? I guess he's just giving us his name. I didn't know if there was like an inside joke there because he has a smiley face. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I, I mean he. So so the way this got to us was by a Facebook message from Rainier who who pulled it off of, I assume, um, was this off the Facebook page or off the YouTube page? Yeah, this was off the Facebook page. This was off the Facebook page. Um, so I assume he's got some sort of Facebook handle um, that's not. Oh, uh, OK. Around. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that just didn't come through when uh, when Rainier sent it. All right. So I'm going to make one observation and then I'll open it up to the floor. And that's that. He knows the scenarios. One of the three scenarios is seize the prize. Um, and I think neither of the two list options he's giving here have March, which means he may he may well auto lose seize the prize. 
Well, he's got knights and he's got a lentil on the horse. I mean, yeah, all but they go, blocked. but they go 10 inches and you need a way to go at least 12 inches to get that prize or at least contest the prize on the first turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, or else somebody else with March is going to go 12 inches, have a 50 50 shot of grabbing the prize on the first turn, and then a 50 50 shot of getting priority on the second turn and grabbing it then and making off with it. And you're already kind of. Um, I would someone with March behind that turn without. Are you saying like assuming the uh, the other army has cavalry? Because if you do a heroic march with cavalry models, it's not going to really do a lot. You need like wargs or something, you know, to to move that twelve inches. So really, what you want is you want the the combination of one guy calls heroic move and the other guy calls heroic march, and they're sitting next to each other, so that. Um, you know, if you win the heroic move roll off, you can kind of get past the prize. Well, get what I'm saying back. is, I, I'm I guess I'm kind of agreeing with making the fact that his knight set can act as blockers, but I mean, his opponent, it's basically going to be a 50 50 roll off either way. Well, yeah, but they can't, yeah, but he's going to sacrifice that. If he runs into somebody who has uh, a heroic move, uh, I'm sorry, a heroic march, that person will get to the prize on turn one regardless. There's nothing he can do to stop it. When it's twelve inches away and you move nine with March, you move. No, so you're yeah, saying March you've with got cavalry, ca- but you've got cavalry, right? So what you do is your cavalry or your mounted hero or your bat or whatever it is that you have that you've taken to kind of deal with this particular uh, situation. Because all his opponents know they have sea surprise too. Exactly. So probably right. grab so this. Everybody, okay, yeah, every yeah. everybody who's playing in this tournament ought to show up with cavalry and March. Yeah. Or okay, cavalry and a drum, or cavalry in some way to go that extra three inches to get past the objective, wall it off, and get it. Because that's that's a third of this tournament. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. Yeah, that that since everyone else knows, then yeah, that's yeah. definitely gonna happen. He, he would probably not. He's not getting the prize. He's got to beat through it with Elon Deal, which yeah. is a tough thing to. I know he's a huge weapon, but. It, they're gonna he can, know it's there and get walled off yeah exactly so so look my whichever way you go on this you need to figure out how to put a captain in here or somebody with march in here so that that's that's my initial thought on that and then i'll i'll open it up to the rest so, of the floor and i guess so only would, to just would, open would on that do like play around with like the first list because well no it's not gonna work because even if you swap Kyrdin with the uh, captain, you don't have the horseman, which means that now you're moving nine inches. You're still not there on the first turn. You, oh, need... you, you could, for example, do Aristor for Kurdan, uh, or excuse me, Aristor for a captain. For a captain. Put some guys in. You can still put the knights in, in Kurdan's warband if you have Kurdan still. Yeah, yeah but, but then you have where are the points for that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you shrink the list even more. Yeah, it's kind of iffy, um, but I do I, like another deal in six hundred point tournament he can do a lot of nasty stuff i'm not against stealing deal at a small points uh it's almost got a feeling of the helm hammerhand legion mm-hmm. is like because he's about as close as you can get without doing that but i think helm hammerhand would have a lot more models and actually if you look at this list seize the prize is really like you got to go fast and then domination actually that's difficult for this army because there's very few models yeah so yeah. So, I mean, I think what you need in this list, uh, I, I'm assuming we're going to stay with the Numenor Rivendell Alliance. What you need in this list is um, 
knights and um knights and a captain on horse and the knights the captain on a horse and Alendil um you know the, the captain's going to call the march Alendil's probably going to call the move if the other guys also countering it and if you win it um what you do at that point is you project Alendil and the captain in front of uh, this thing and then put a knight behind it and then knight dismounts, digs well, the thing up. Well, remember, Alendil can't move 15. Alendil has to oh, move 10. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, and that's where the issue comes. Well, my original thought process was get Alendil there, dismount him, and then have him try and grab the prize. Because if Alendil grabs the prize, then no one is ever getting it yeah. ever. I'm not but that has, Well, but, the, but that has the same, the, the that issue, is the same problem. The issue that yeah. arises with that is you can't move first and do that. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I almost, cause you can try and get it with the captain, but depending on the matchup, the captain is obviously much less safe um to try and give the prize than Elendil. Um but I think the march in general is just very useful for seize the prize because it means next turn if you win the heroic move off you can then move past the objective with your army. Whereas if you're moving six inches twice you're just barely going to get to the objective in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um so I think yeah a captain's definitely necessary. I'd say Aristor is what 85 points? How much is he? Is he 85 or 80? Uh, I think he's 80. Right, well, it's one right. of those. Well, one of those. I think with the captain, you probably go horse, lance, maybe. Try and keep him as cheap as possible to get as many models. Because um, model count, I think, is going to be important. So that's why, personally, we haven't really talked about option one versus option two a whole bunch yet. But I'm personally a big fan of option two, just to be able to have the model count. Um, I'm not sure how how useful Kirdan will necessarily be in uh, domination and seize the prize. I know he'll probably be pretty good in Lords of Battle, um, but Lords of Battle is a scenario you're good at anyways. So I'd say get more models so you can do better in domination. Um, so take option two, and then maybe with option two, swap Aristor for a, cap for a captain on horse with lance and finagle the, you know, finagle the models around to, to make up for the points. And that's probably what I would take. I assume that he wants to keep uh, Elendil in the list. And I think the list is pretty solid with Alendil. So yeah, I mean Alendil's a good power piece at six hundred points. There's not a lot that can kind of deal with him. So I think that makes sense. And especially with the Alendil, I think is a good choice with these scenarios because he can keep getting might back in Lords of Battle. Seize the prize if somebody else gets the prize first. He has a decent chance of heroic combating his way to it. And then if you can get if you can get the prize to him while he's still on the horse, he can get away with it. And then domination is really useful because he can use that heroic combat to kind of get from 
objective to objective. Yeah. I think I think domination is another good argument for the captain on horse as well. Because sure, Arister is good and he's strong, but he also only moves six inches. And having a second mobile hitting hero to be able to contest the objectives and um, do a lot of damage in a short period of time, um, I think may lend itself to be more valuable. Because I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much the second strike on Aristor is doing um in this particular circumstance because like no one's gonna try and contest Alendil anyways and Alendil can usually just chop through heroes on his own so I'm personally a fan of the captain over Arister in this yeah. situation. Yeah I also personally prefer captain because if you're if you're mounted you're probably killing more of basic troops than Arister is on food and you're just more mobile and so there's there's like a, a lot more options for you. Yeah. I'm not sure, by the way, I would short the shield on the captain if he's going to be the only other hero. Um, last thing you want is mm. him to get shot out or chopped out. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with not taking the shield on him. Because, um, like, I don't really care if he dies or survives. Like, his purpose is to call two heroic moves slash marches get into combat, kill as many guys as possible, and then if he dies or not, doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Right. Um, it's also, like, he's still defense six, which is perfectly functional against normal troops, and if a hero is trying to hunt him down and fight him, then they're not trying to kill your massive, you know, Numenor elf fighting force along with Elendil. I guess the philosophy for me is if they're trying to kill the captain, they're not trying to deal with the Lendl, which means that a Lendl's killing the army. So I think especially with how sort of strapped for points you are um, in these lists, maybe not taking the shield is the way to go. But that's, again, that's just my personal way I like to play captains. So you can yeah. do whatever. I, unfortunately, I'm I'm caught away from my... I have I don't have that particular rule book to hand, so I don't know what the what the captain is. I think the captain fully kitted out is like ninety points. So is that right? captain, so captain is base seventy five. I think um, ten points for the horse, five points for the lance. You want both of those, so ninety um, with horse yeah. and lance. Okay. And then Drop a knight. Think you swap a knight out. Well, remember story. you're going to need at least two nights to make um yeah i, I wouldn't swap the night out i mean if anything a, you go down to surprise if anything you go down to 28 models um either that or maybe even your no, goal you don't have it maybe taking, even drop some bows uh, yeah. taking two nights specifically for seize the prize to, to do what flanking like seize the prize yeah, and seize domination Seize the prize and domination are where you want the knights. Domination to contest the back objectives, seize the prize to be able to get to the center early and also I think, uh, potentially use to to fight off people trying to get off the board. Okay, I'll go with it. I mean, I guess I don't find the knights that critical for both of those roles, but I can understand. They're They're essential for seize the prize. Because the the only people the only folks that matter are the ones that can go at least twelve inches on a march for the first turn to seize the prize. 
Nobody, nobody else in the army matters for that first turn that sees the prize, except the guys that um, can uh, can get that get that you know twelve inches plus to screen off the uh, screen off the prize. So if you, if you know you're going to be fighting sees the prize, you need to have you need to have a you need to have a plan to get a decent amount of your army past past that objective in the center and have one guy that gets up and dismounts and takes it and everybody else screens him off for the next turn hopefully so then if we're following it seems like everyone's pretty much in agreement on take option two but pretty much evan's advice (laughs) pretty much his construction of the list is is actually how i would have done it so yeah captain in exchange for aristor uh drop some bows it's yeah sure um Agreed. Kieran's not doing much anyway. Yeah, I mean, you got you got what three more slots in Alendil's warband. So if you want to, if you need some extra points, you need like those extra five points to give the uh, captain um, captain a shield. Uh, you could drop a few of the elves, and um, in fact, I think aren't you going to have to drop? No, you're not. Um, you can drop a few of the elves and uh, make them cheaper Numenorians with shield, or just Numenorians with bow. Um, and then you can just you can just have some random Numenorians with bow, and their job is to go and stand on objectives and domination. All right. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Perfect. Then yeah, then that's pretty much the pick an option two. Then Jerry, <laughs> that's the route you should go. Well, obviously with the modifications, get rid of Aristor. So, and add a captain. Add a captain. Can't do this without a captain. All righty. I would like to add a final addendum to that, which is if you are adamant about taking either option one or option two with no changes, I'd say still take option two. Yeah. Um, Because I think option one also has no cavalry in it. It does not. Yeah. Reduce troop options and then uh, adding an irrelevant piece to the army is uh, all right. Yeah. I I don't think Kyrdan's, as you pointed out, Kirdan's not essential to these three scenarios. He's useful in Lords of Battle, but that's probably about it. So, okay. All righty. So uh, I think the plan today was to finish off our discussion on the unholy trinity of hyper-competitive lists. We've talked about Assault on Helm's Deep. We've talked about the Dragon Emperor Legion. And the last one was Assault on Lothlorien. Um, which is in, in some ways, I don't know, I think advised for contention with Assault on Helm's Deep is the worst of the three. Um, and I think that depends whether you, your parameter is more competitive or your parameter for being uh, uh, unholy is more competitive or um, less fun to play with because I think it's play with and against. I think it's more fun to play against than Assault on Helm's Deep but I think it's also probably the stronger of the two lists, although I know opinions differ on that. Um, but uh, all right, so so wh- what have we had for experience here? I I have played against Assault on Lothlorien many times at this at this point. Um, probably I think I've played against it at least once in every tournament I've played in since the list came out because it's it's all over the place. Um, so I have a lot of rounds against it. I played it in one tournament, 
Um, and I think I played it like three or four tournament games and then set it aside for reasons that we're discussing. What what are other other played it in more than one tournament? Um I think like two or three. Um and then okay, so well my experience, um, other than playing against dad, which I've played against multiple times, um is uh i've played it i've played like one game of it uh which was ludicrous um and i will go i will go into that later on in the podcast but uh i've also played against it um in the masters at articon um i've played against devin using it i've played against dad doing it so i've i've played against it um with high caliber players uh playing it so that's that's my experience i have zero experience playing against it or playing against it. <laughs> okay so let's I, just I put yourself on mute rainier you're kicked from the episode uh please leave yeah on the articon team if i play against it, i'm just gonna be like okay you guys win i'm gonna go have myself like a sandwich or something <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could be a spectator in a in a way here. Like, you could be asking all the questions, like, "Oh, what is this really? list?" Yeah, you're. What this, I've what never heard this about this list. Before. So, Renair, you you like um, like either Gimling or Marion Pippin. You have the perspective of the audience. You're the one here who doesn't know what we're talking about and asks all the insightful questions that the audience is is thinking so that first we sure. can answer them okay after mick and devin explain their experience my first question is what the heck is it all right, <laughs> all right put a put a pin in that we'll get back to that Mick, what, what's your experience um i've actually built it recently and and uh i've been playing it in some friendly games and in one event recently uh and, and i right. played quite a bit against it at tournament uh and the letter d what d what is your experience the letter D has exactly one game of experience. <laughs> Where, <laughs> on um, which side of it? Uh, I played with it against Evan. Um, and uh, I was kind of figuring it out as I was getting slaughtered. So <laughs> I was, uh, but I mean, you know, I understand the list pretty well. You know what? No, that's not true. I played a couple practice games with it. So no tournament games. I, I did actually play, I would say three practice games with it. And then I, um, uh, outside of that, watched a lot of games of it at Nova. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so here comes the first question. From an outsider point of view, I see it. People say it's broken. People say it's really good. I see it placing on top at events, but also on bottom of events. So that tells me it's really the skill of a player. Um, but the list, why is it so dangerous in people's opinion? Nice start. So... Do, I, do we want to ask? Do we want to answer Rainier's first question first? Which okay, is yeah, what's first. in it? What the yeah. hell is it? Yeah. Why is it dangerous? <laughs> so the thing that's like my favorite thing about this list is that it doesn't like it, in a lot of Legion situations you're kind of pigeonholed into into taking certain options and and Legion kind of ends up being the list and everybody tends to play similarly, but with this list you actually have a lot of options. And it kind of almost plays like a larger list from just just kind of a faction alliance. So in a way, if you're someone who just wants to try out different things within the same list, then it allows you to actually have 
a lot of different variants depending on points levels even 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 like even on, even on on one point level you can have multiple variants which work so but Mick what exactly is in this well list? <laughs> let's see so it's basically an alliance of goblins and orcs uh we have Musgur, the orc shaman uh who um him or another goblin hero uh have to be a leader of his army um the other goblin heroes are druzak and ashrak the the other uh, named goblin heroes then we can also have an orc captain an orc shaman a moria goblin captain moria goblin shaman um wild work chieftain and then our troops can be wild works giant spiders orc warriors warg riders Orc Trackers, Moria Goblin Warriors, uh, Moria Goblin Prowlers, Warg Marauders, and Bat Swarms. So it's basically a bunch of um, low defense, low quality troops throughout with some cool rules and some cool heroes and a bunch of beasts, which actually, according to some people, make this make this list really broken. So I actually... Uh... Find an interesting comment. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say actually before we before we go on, we should talk about the additional rules and the special rules to this yes. list because there's a lot to unpack. Yes. In those. So I've got these in front of me. So first of all, um, the assault on the Florian must always include Musker and at least one named goblin hero. So that has to be either Druzak or Ashrak. Um, additionally, only orc hero models can lead orc warriors. And only goblin hero models can lead goblin warriors. Then spiders may only be included in warbands led by Druzak or Ashrak. And in this legendary legion, Musgur, Druzak, and Ashrak are heroes of valor, and shamans are heroes of fortitude. So normally, um, Ashrak would be a, a hero of fortitude, and um, shamans are uh, minor heroes. So here, they they can take more troops with them. I love how the additional rules in this, by the way, read like a middle school math problem. Have any of you noticed this? That, uh, you know, you go through it. Assault on Lothlorian foot must include yes. must at least one named goblin hero. Only orc hero models may be orc warrior models. Only goblin hero models may lead goblin warrior models. And spider models may only be included in warbands led by Drizag or Aslax. So how many spider yeah. models can be included in the army leader's warband? And there's hey. like a blue white spot <laughs> yeah. that you can right. 15 or 27 or 1 or yep. 375. Yeah, it, it definitely has that. All right. So all right. So those are the additional rules. Read read through the special rules. So the special rules are what makes this legion really interesting. So the first one is cover of darkness. So this is basically the same darkness rule uh which exists in Clash by Moon Moonlight. So any battle featuring this legendary legion takes place at night. As such, due to their reduced visibility, models cannot be targeted by shooting. Magical powers or special abilities uh, over 12 inches. Sorry, shooting magical powers or special abilities. Um, however, as it is much harder to avoid a shot in the dark, all shooting attacks gain a bonus of plus one uh, ro uh, rolling to wound. Siege engines may still target enemy models more than 12 inches away. However, in this situation, they will only ever hit on the roll of a six. Models with a cave dweller rule can see as normal, which means Moria Goblin Warriors with bows uh, ignore the 12-inch uh, range, so they can shoot 18 inches, 
And uh, cave dwellers also don't suffer the plus one to wound when they are hit by bows in this situation. So the um, all of the shots that we're having from the prowlers and from the uh, Moray goblins with, with bows, they will be getting the plus one, but shooting back at us, uh, our opponents will not be getting plus one. And just so people know, because this has come up in some games, if you look in the FAQs, because you have you have certain instances where this darkness will get dispelled, like with um, like with blinding light. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if blinding light is up, um, the way the plus one to wound works is if you're shooting from the darkness into the light, you still get the plus one to wound. If you are shooting from the light out into the darkness, you still get the plus one to wound. Um, so the only circumstances where that plus one to wound doesn't affect you are when you are shooting from the light into the light, um, which is an important thing to to keep in mind um, when Galadriel is you know wandering around the battlefield or or you know blinding light is cast by somebody else is that if you're you know if your goblin archers um, are inside the light they can if they still want their plus one to wound they can do that by shooting at targets outside the light. So then uh, the second rule is Ruthless ruthless Savagery. Uh, Friendly orc and goblin models gain a bonus of plus one to wound in a fight in which the opposing model is outnumbered. Note that supporting models do not count for either side for the purpose of this rule. So this is quite a common rule among uh, legendary legions these days. Um, But what it means is that Moria Goblin Prowlers can actually stack that with their two-handed weapons and their backstabbers rules. Which means if a, if a prowler traps you, they get a plus three to wound. Um, then additionally, um, dark magics. Uh, friendly models may reroll any number of d6 when making a casting roll. And venom back spiders. If your force contains Ashrak, then all giant spiders in your force can be upgraded to venom back spiders for free. And venom back spiders, the ones that instead of rerolling ones to wound, reroll everything to wound. Everything, that's right. Yeah. And dark magics is um, quite an important rule here uh, in that uh, not only do shamans basically cast their fury on one dice, additionally, uh, you have Druzak who, uh, with his casting of Enraged Beast on, on three plus, um, he can quite reliably cast it on one dice every turn instead of um, having to use two, two points of will. Yeah, unlike um, unlike many legendary legions, all four of these special rules are incredibly powerful and incredibly important. Yes. Um, so there's, there's none of these, you know, special rules of, you know, this particular hero, like rerolls one to wound in this particular weird situation. Um, these are all like game shifting special rules, which is part of the reason why this army is so potent. Yeah, it it, it seems a lot like those kind of like mashup Moria armies that people used to make. I know Alisher from the US used to do a lot of these, but it seems like that slightly on steroids. Yeah, it's not slightly on steroids. <laughs> um, the, the only thing on that, that I'm steroids. missing here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is like the Aroid Rage um alliance list right here yeah it's just the the whole supple like that whole arrow supplement like easterlings i'm just like picturing like oprah you get a boost you get a boost you get a boost you get a boost and this one too there's like five oprahs just like yelling at you and you get whatever you want 
Yeah. So th- this is a list that got juiced all the way up and then somebody came along and insulted its masculinity. Um, <laughs> That's what it should be changed into. Assaulted yeah. masculinity. <laughs> well, okay. So with all this in mind, I think it might be useful here to go back through the components of this list. And because once you kind of, once you understand the special rules and how you work and how they work, um, this list has a lot, this list has a lot of goodies. There's a lot of choices. Yeah, there's a lot of choices here, but you can't take all of them. Um, And there are a number of different ways to do it. And there are also some things in here that should clearly never be taken. So um, uh, it may be worth kind of going through this list again and and talking through and saying, you know, what's 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 a must take, what's a should take and what's a never take. All right. So we have Nisker or Shaman. He is a must take because uh, that's what the rules state. By definition. Yep. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> um, if we go through the additional rules, um, then um, you must also have uh, one of the other uh, named heroes from Moria. So Druzag or Ashrak must always be taken. And in this case, Druzag is virtually always better unless unless you're playing like, like 300 points and you really are not going to take any any beasts with you and for some reason you pick this army and you were then you're probably taking Druzag as your as I can I actually can't imagine ever taking this list without Druzag um <laughs> yeah like he's the he's he's like a key character here yeah um uh, I mean unless unless your theory of this list is I'm just going to take whole bunches of goblins and nothing else mm-hmm. um but but then you know but but then why take Ashrak um well, because uh, you have to at that point. You're trying to get the cheaper model. Yeah, I yeah. know, but I mean, Druzag at least contributes to that list. I, yeah. I don't know. I, Druz- I mean, if you, Druzag if to me is really the second must take. Yeah, like, if you're playing tiny points and you feel like you have to play this army. Yeah. Like, All right. Maybe. Like, like I wouldn't, but if you if you feel like it, then. All right. I, I think that is such a such an edge case that I, I I'm going to go out on a limb and say Drizag's a must take here. But, yeah. Okay. But but we've skipped over to I'm going to Articon with nothing but goblins in this list. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've skipped over the the sure. orc captain and the orc. So shaman. that's right. So the orc shaman is one of those things that you virtually never take. Yeah. Because because your army is going to be primarily goblins, and the orc captain is uh, arguably also the thing that you don't take because uh, the goblin captain is just better in this situation. Right. Yeah. And the, the only the only niche the orc captain has is taking a warg, and that's even then that's not overly useful. Yeah. I've seen people do it, but I don't know. It's not something. I think because you want so many beasts, you want to just take the cheapest captain available, and that's generally the Moria Goblin captain. Yeah. yeah. Which takes us to Moria Goblin captain, who um, is generally needed in his army because armies uh, the the army is very slow, other than its beasts. So generally, a you want him as the cheap uh, hero that leads uh, that gives you more troops, and b march is quite important in this army. Then yes. we're moving on to Moria Goblin Shaman, who is the other uh, hero that's arguably always being taken because because terror, because break deaths, because your your troops are generally low courage, even your heroes are generally low courage. And and not just that, by the way, I mean. Outside this list, the reason you take the Goblin Shaman is to get Fury and make your goblins terror-proof. Yes, uh, but here you it, have... In this face. list, yes. 
you because the goblin shaman re-rolls all of his casting dice, his transfix is actually useful because he gets two chances to roll a yeah. five. In fact, in in most games that I've played, if I was in a situation where I've uh, like where, where I was feeling comfortable that I'm not gonna break or that the game is just not gonna go that long, I generally wouldn't cast Fury at all during the game and just try to poke some transfixes. Oh, there's the, these goblin shamans have are, are perfectly effective folks to have around, even in a scenario where Fury is irrelevant yeah. because of that. Yeah. They're, they're especially deadly as well with um with musger who's got his transfixes on fours right so right, yeah. basically musger and these guys run around just throwing one dice transfixes at you know the three will heroes and just chip them down and then once you hit a transfix on those heroes you swoop in with your enraged bats and spiders and go for the kill so yeah, i think a, i think having a secondary transfix. transfix with musger is very useful yeah, it's a funny thing with these transfixes in that yeah they're hard to cast, but when they're cast, they're hard to resist. So, yeah, yeah, it's useful. Um, okay, so moving on, well, we have yep. But before we do that, um, I mean we've we've discussed Druzag and you know do you take him, do you not take him? We haven't really had a discussion about Ashrak. Ah, yes. And the circumstances of when you take him. Thoughts can on you that? Guys bundle an Ashrak with like taking spiders in general. Is that what people do? Yes. If you are not going to take spiders, don't take Ashrak. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah though, this... though sometimes people will take spiders and not take Ashrak, but usually if you're taking Ashrak, you'll take more spiders. Mm -hmm. So usually you won't take more than like one or two spiders if you're not taking Ashrak. And Ashrak usually goes with like maybe three, four spiders, something like that. Because obviously the only thing that Ashrak really does is make your spiders invisible. Um, and maybe give them fury though you're never going to do that well um, he gives them the free upgrade and and they cannot be upgraded them, yes. without that that without is well he, in, he in buffs the, the spiders yeah because yeah. that's the thing like the, uh, the fact that they reroll everything makes them way more powerful than, than just normal giant spiders yeah. in this list and and let's not gloss over the he makes invisible spiders um <laughs> because... i was about to say i'm like that's pretty critical yeah. so that i, I mean there, there are a bunch of people who are of the position um, that Ashrak isn't essential because all he does is give you invisible spiders. Um, I think these people are wrong. Um, I think these people are wrong because uh, make invisible spiders transform this army from a strong army to a deadly army because they they force your opponent. The, the mere threat of invisible spiders, even if none of them actually get made invisible and run around through your lines and behind you is, is enough to force you force your opponent to change how they fight because instead of having to fight, they can't fight frontally anymore. They can't depend on their shield wall to kind of keep the scary and rage spiders out and away from the heroes to trap and kill. Because once they can, once you can get an invisible enraged spider or, you know, if Ashrak's going to channel an invisible spider that's wearing the ring and is going to have the fight have your fight value then all of a sudden your your heroes need to be protected from threats from 360 degrees even more so than just the bats flying over the line because a bat flying over the line 
all by itself isn't going to do anything, but a bat and a spider or an enraged spider that's having your fight value, that can just that can just come in, trap one of your heroes behind your own line and kill it in one turn. Mm-hmm. And you have to protect it against that. Um and you know that you know, that that that's my position on why Ashrak is you know, once you get to a certain points level where you're gonna when you you can have more than just Drizag and Musger, that he's kind of the next guy you take just because of of how how all the complications Ashrak causes for your opponent just by being in your army, even if he never does anything. So that's the thing where from my experience playing against this army with uh people who had Ashrak, um it creates a situation where you have to really 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 plan your moves and if you if you make any mistakes ashra can just can just take you out very easily with this with this one in uh in raid spider but it's it's one of those where if you're if you know how to defend yourself against it then ashra essentially ends up being a bit useless but if you don't know how to, how to defend you against it then it's almost like ashra is going to give this army free wins yeah I mean, I, I will say this: the only times I have lost against this army have been in the variant that has Ashrak. Right. And I'm, I, I think I played against this army twenty times at this point. And the only games I have lost, and I've, I've played every variant of this. I played against every variant of this army, and the only times I have lost have been when they have Ashrak. Um, and and it's because of that problem. And and I mean, I remember when I was playing this army too. There have been times when, you know, I, I played against Alisher and Alisher, you know, he knows how to defend against Ashrak. He did it right. And I still ended up winning the game. Even though, I don't think I don't think Ashrak succeeded in pulling off any Ashrak like moves the entire game because Alisher was was checking him. But he had to invest so many resources away from the front line to check Ashrak that I was just able to win the game. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's the interesting part of ashrak is that he can literally do absolutely nothing throughout the entire game you know just call like one heroic move with his might point um and still just have this massive effect on how your opponent plays Mm -hmm. and i think being able to have that influence and control and usually what it does is it often keeps your opponent's heroes from going to where they want to go like into a key key beast or model or anything like that and try to assassinate it or do what they really need to do and like jump out of the lines and try to get a heroic combat off because they now know that if any small thing goes wrong their hero is dead because ashrak is going to kill them um and i think that is that is the value of having ashrak is just the mind games you can play with your opponent mm-hmm now that brings up what how do the warriors hold out or do they have to work in con- contingent with the other heroes and monsters and stuff do we want to uh, cover the war chieftain first before yeah, we go into yeah. warriors or... yeah let's let's That's talk about the war chieftain then we'll talk so, about warriors. okay so the war chieftain is the last hero here um he's one uh, he's one of those where some some players like to have one other players just ignore him so, yeah, it's it's just one of those things within the list where you do have the options at various points levels, and you're not really pigeonholed into in, into taking the same list as most other people. Are. Yeah, I mean, 
the the war chieftain is a powerful model he is a very scary model when he is enraged mm -hmm. but he is also 16 goblins yeah um and you really need to think about whether or not it's better to have the war chief the wild war chieftain or 16 goblins in this list um because when we do talk about warriors i mean the one the one thing all the warriors in this army have is that they can go down very quickly um if things go bad and if you don't have enough of them this army will fold like a house of cards before i can get mm -hmm. all of its tricks out yeah i think the work chieftain is a model that is much more popular in versions of this army that don't have ashrak because those those armies often have hitting power issues because they can't rely on the venom back spiders and the enraged versions of them to get their hero kills um so they need something else to do that so it's usually the war chieftain so i'd say if you're taking ashrak probably leave this guy at home um but if you're not taking ashrak then he is somebody to consider yeah and and if you do take him Make sure you take good care of him and you hide him well, because um, the Wild War Chieftain is not a cave dweller. And if somebody can get shooting within 12 inches of him and his defense five, um, all of a sudden, um, you know, like elf bows will be wounding him on four up. And you don't want that to happen. And regular bows will be wounding him on five up. He can die very quickly. Interesting point, actually, to bring that up. I don't play the Wild War Chieftain in this list, but yeah, I mean, that note. so that that's part of the reason why, um, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that shows up in other lists, like you know, or captains on warg and stuff like that, just aren't useful in this list. Um, I mean, first of all, you've got plenty, you've got plenty of stuff in this list that can do tremendous amounts of damage and um move quickly and can do it through terrain better than the a chieftain on a warg can and um the chieftain on the war just can can get shot out so easily in this list because that plus one to wound right so then moving on to uh some of the beasts obviously the same thing applies to wild wargs giant spiders and bat swarms um they do not have the, the uh cave dweller so we have wild wargs uh, and giant spiders. Um, so if we go to the wild wargs first, there is um, there is usually a point on on taking a couple, uh, since they're relatively cheap compared to the spiders and the bat swarms. And if you do need additional one or two fast moving models, um, they can be useful to take. But they're not really the main source of of power in the list. Yeah, I've seen some lists where people will take like 10 or 12 of them. Don't do that. Yeah. Like it the issue is when you enrage them, they're three attacks, fight five, strength six, which sounds good on paper until you realize that like basically every moderately strong hero is going to outfight them and just mince them even if they are enraged. And also three attacks and strength six can only go so far, especially when you're not knocking down or trapping a model. So they and just lack the hitting power and the um, and the ability to win fights that enraging other things like the chieftain or spiders or even bats can do. So they're very unreliable in that way. 
and spamming them is really just a waste of your beast models and could be used much better on goblins or more spiders or anything but them really mm -hmm. so take a couple I've seen that happen a bunch of times where somebody like enrages a wild work, sends it into a hero or even just a guy. Just dies. And the guy the guy manages to shield it off and then it just dies from fury at the end of the turn because it's only got one wound. It's like, oh well, that was um underwhelming. <laughs> but no, no, from the from big from waste of your five will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the other thing that like they 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 die from enraged beasts, whilst giant spiders and bat swarms oftentimes just don't care, even if they take the wound. Yep. Um, okay, so so then we're moving on to giant spiders. So as we know, with Ashrak, they become uh, venomback spiders for free. Uh, they're basically the main the main source of damage uh, when enraged. So lists vary, but I've seen ver versions which would have like even four or five at like seven or eight hundred points, and I've seen versions which would only like play like one. So, one of those versions is wrong. Well, there isn't there isn't necessarily the <laughs> the, the, the right number of them. <laughs> I've played. I have actually played a version recently, uh, which I was using myself, where I had four bat swarms and no giant spiders, just to just to see what happens. And I very quickly realized, well, I definitely want one less bat swarm at least, and the two giant spiders. Yeah. So there's there's they, usually there's usually a reason to have at least two, and then yeah. however many your points allow. So you're right that there is not not necessarily right number, but I think we can safely say that the number zero and the number one are wrong when it yeah. comes to number of spiders in the list. Yeah, it's probably somewhere between like two, three, four. Like you don't want too many of them because eventually they're still they're like they're they're not that great when they're not enraged, or. Right. And, and 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 their big bases, they just get stuck, especially especially if you're in a tight spot and you can can send them through with Ashrak. They're just standing at yeah. the back; they're not doing anything. Yeah, you don't want. They're to also and, expensive. They are expensive. Yeah. yeah, you do not want to try and build a battle line of giant spiders. No. With this list. that's not what they're for. They hide behind the battle line, and basically, what happens is Ashrak and Druzag call one up and go, "You're enraged, and now you're invisible." Go get him, and then that spider goes in and goes off like a bomb, and you know some it, some something will die, um, and eventually that that spider will you know that spider may well die on this turn or the next turn too, but something will die, and then Ash and then next turn Ashrak and Druzak go next spider, you're enraged, you're invisible, go, <laughs> and you know the yeah, next spider and, goes. and remember remember as well when you do that to cast in that order because right. if you make the spider invisible you're not going to be able to enrage it because <laughs> no! you won't be able to see the spider yeah, yeah. all right so and, yep the last thing i was going to say is also don't forget um uh ashrak's channeling ability because he has the ability basically once per game to to channel and his shroud of shadows and turn one of those spiders into a invisible spider that also has fight value. And then you may, you may not even need to enrage it. Um, because Actually, just for the psychological aspect alone, you should not, my, my thought is don't spend Ashrex might at all until. Yeah. Yeah. You, until you, it's use, it for, yeah, you use it for a <clears throat> game winning play. Yeah. Right. When you, when you need like, when you need the hero who can strike up to get above the enraged fight value. 
um, you need to get it so that he can't strike up. That's and you've got him trapped, and you know, um, you you can kill him and take him down. That's when you use it. Mm -hmm. Right. So we we move on. Uh, we have orc warriors. So there is there is usually at least one orc warrior in in this army, and he carries a banner. Yep. And most of the time, I like there's there seems to be no other orc warriors in this army. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about that because the other thing the Ark Warriors bring is fight three. Um, yeah. And they, you know, there, there's a place in this army for uh, Orc Warriors with spears to stand behind yeah, goblins. Yeah, you could have a few. You could have a few. That's, that's fair enough. Um, and um, and they're, they're useful to bulk up the regular goblins to, um, to fight three in appropriate circumstances there is no reason to take an orc with a shield an orc with a two-handed weapon or god forbid an orc with a bow because there's nothing in this list that um an orc with a bow can do that a goblin with a bow can do better because orcs aren't cave dwellers yeah and don't get the plus one so the thing about spears um it's, it's one of those things where if you're taking a lot of prowlers, then you probably don't need the spears from orc warriors. But if you not take any prowlers, then you will want some of the fight three. Yeah. So the reason I I said um, you just take the the orc warrior with with a banner is because I tend to play more more on the heavy prowler side. So personally, I wouldn't be going with very many orc warriors at all. I I like to. Well, I'm I'm a little different, I guess, because I'll take relatively heavy prowlers like maybe 12 14 mm -hmm. and then i'll basically make it so that you know every group of two in my spear supported battle line has fight three um so i'll do goblin spears behind the prowlers and then uh whoever whichever mo frontline models i have that aren't prowlers i'll do orc spears behind them because mm -hmm. I really value the fight three in the army. Uh, it's very good against a couple of problematic matchups that we may talk a bit about later, like um, Goblin Town it's helpful against, uh, Survivors of Lake Town it's helpful against, those sorts of armies that are sort of low fight hordes. Uh, every fight value matters in that. So that's personally why I like to take them. They're only one point more than Goblin Warriors. But on the other hand, they do open up a weakness in the army in that they are easy to wound because uh they you get the plus one to wound against them um and they also don't benefit from the fury of the goblin shaman so definitely don't take a lot of these guys but i'd say maybe like eight to ten maximum maximum yeah. um if you want to the other reason yeah, to that, take some that also depends on points yeah, like... well the other reason to take some is that they're the only things that realistically can go in Musgur's Warband. And you do not want Musgur's Warband, particularly if he is your army leader, um, to be, you know, Musgur and a guy with a banner. Because mm -hmm. um, they... Although they, I've, seen, I've seen that a lot. <laughs> well, uh, so look, one thing this army struggles with is Maelstrom of Battle, because your heroes don't have a lot. You have a bunch of heroes and none of them have that much might. Um so you can you can easily end up in a situation where Musger like comes on and melts from a battle on his own, and um, you you really don't want to be just Musger a banner and all of a sudden a warband of dwarves shows up behind him. Um, that's a 
that's a bad result. Yeah, no, of course. What, which is why generally you'd also be rolling last for Musker, so that you get the choice of where of where he goes, and you can use his might to adjust. So generally, I I I wouldn't really fear Musker going in the wrong place because because he'd be last for one entering. Yeah, well, or and with two points well, of might, you you get the choice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, unless you roll unless you roll a one, um, or you know, you roll a two, and then all of your armies in the wrong place. I mean, I almost think that it. I mean, if you're going to take that strategy, I almost think that what you do is you um, you roll Buzger first, see where he shows up, and then spend everybody else's might to make sure that there's enough guys around him. But even so, I think it's worth having you know maybe half a dozen orcs with spears with him. I mean, I think I think it's one of those armies where. Uh, in Maelstrom, in general, you want to have everything as close to each other as possible to benefit from all of the bubble effects, from all of the enrages, yeah. from all of the invisible, the, the fury, the, the everything. You want to try that, but I mean, yeah. there's enough heroes in this army that you're going to end up with a shaman that comes on and rolls a two, right? Yeah. Um, and Or or Ashrak rolls a two. Oops. Right? Um, you know, that's, that's a problem. So, anyway. Anyway, okay, so moving on, we have Ward Riders. Um, generally, they're not as good as the Beasts, and they move the same speed as the Beasts. Um, yeah. I've seen people take some. I, I've even seen seen one person take like five or six of them, but I don't think that's correct. Hmm. Right there, I'd right say the only use for them is if you want to put throwing spears on them. Maybe take one or two, put throwing spears on them, and then you get a more like long range throwing option. Let's get another um, goblin. I think ball. that there's there's a possibility um, that taking a couple is useful. Uh, also, having the knockdown is nice if you can't trap a guy, um, just to maybe be able to assist a spider. I'd say maximum one or two. You don't have to take any, um, but they do have their function in the list. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have orc truckers who can also take a word. Don't take oh, them. Don't take them because because more <laughs> goblin warriors with bonus are just better. <laughs> they yeah. they are legitimately the like the one warrior option in this list that I just see no purpose for. Yeah. Right. Um, Unlike every other evil list, your trackers are your worst shooters in this list. Yeah. Uh, next we have more goblin warriors. So this um, these guys are gonna be there's gonna be plenty of them. Obviously, uh, you want to have. Uh, maximum number of bows on here because of the special rules. And then some number of bows, possibly all of them want to have spears as well. Um, and then in terms of shields and spears ratio, that will depend on how prowler heavy you are and how many orc warriors you have. So there's a lot of variables here and a lot of different possibilities you can, you can play. Yeah. So how many prowlers do you think would be taken at a typical 650-700 list? So, personally, in my so latest list, I had like 18, and I was considering more. But and how many I, bows did you have in that same list? Uh, I think it was 14. Wow, so, that's crazy. This list just turns into like a corsair list. Yeah, but at the same time, the prowlers once they get into combat, and like if if somebody charges you, and you don't really get your um spiders or, or things into the best positions possible like prowlers just completely get demolished by everything that charges them so it's one of those things where 
if you're managing to build your advantage, like you're slowly building advantage with prowlers moving, shooting, moving, shooting, charging, shooting more. So there is a lot of stuff that prowlers can do, but sometimes they can just all fall in combat and your army just collapses. Yeah. I mean, the unlike many of the other things where I've taken strong positions on the whole warriors versus prowlers debate, I'm not sure there's a wrong answer. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree. Like I've seen all sorts of versions, and yeah. I I just don't know what's what's best. Like I yeah. think I think for every scenario, there's a, there's a better idea. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people build very effective lists that are like just goblins. Yeah, um, and I've seen people with like a few prowlers to like get some throwing weapon mm-hmm. shots in there. And I think when I build this list at six hundred points, I think I've got about a dozen prowlers in it, um, because they are. You know they are seven points rather than five points, and um, that adds up after a while. Um, yeah. And, but you know, I've also seen people take like Mick does eighteen or twenty prowlers, um, and that also works. You just you if you're gonna go warrior heavy on this, you need to kind of tone down the beasts, mm-hmm. um, so that you know you're taking you know, between two and four spiders and no more than two bat swarms and that's it. Um, and then, and then the rest of your killing power is just, you know, kind of more goblins. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, it'd be the, the goblin. I mean, like Mick said, the goblin prowlers are vulnerable once like the lines clash, that's when they really kind of like start to die. Cause what, what makes this list dangerous in close combat is the ruthless savagery rule where you get you get plus one to wound if basically you're ganging up on somebody and that doesn't count like you know shield wall to shield wall where you've got a spear in the second rank it's you need two guys in contact with the guy in the front so you really want to be surrounding people and breaking up their armies and you really only get this advantage if you outnumber them and probably outnumber them by a fairly significant margin so if you know you you want to be in like the depending on point size instead of being in the like 30 to 40 range you want to be in the 40 to 60 range of models in order to get this mm-hmm. so you know as many goblins basically the answer i think is as many prowlers as you can take and still have that numerical advantage because it's the numerical advantage that really is what you need yeah and, and the other the other thing with prowlers is that uh Ultimately, if you're taking them, then you then you begin to rely very heavily on their throwing daggers to do a lot of damage. And if your opponent brings blinding light, then that significantly suddenly makes your army significantly weaker because you only ever hit on sixes. Yeah. Although, yeah, yeah, I mean, what you have to do at that point is basically try and fight the parts of the army that are outside of the blinding yeah. light. Yeah. Right. So moving on, we have Warg Marauders. So. Uh, I personally haven't used one in this army, but I've seen people sometimes take one. So I, I I would say it's more of the it's more of a zero than a one, but I'm I'm not against taking one. I I, I have played against them a couple times, and they have all kind of died before they accomplished anything significant. Um, part of the problem is like if you hit the warg, <laughs> warg isn't a cave dweller. <laughs> And then <laughs> once that warg dies, um, that that you've you've kind of blown thirty points on, you know, three goblets, um, and 
that's not a good use of points. I these things in this particular list, I think, are almost almost for being never take. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the opportunity cost of taking them six goblins is too high. I mean, generally, war murders are tend not to be great in any list ever since they they've been re- nerfed in this edition. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we have the butt swarms, and the the correct number of them is you definitely want more than zero. You def you almost definitely want more than one. Yep. You want some, you want somewhere between two and three. And that, that will vary on points, but you always kind of want to have two of them just in case one of them is not enough or just gets stuck in the wrong place or or, or gets killed in a stupid way. Yeah, I don't think, by the way, you're going to take three at anything less than 800 points. Probably not, no. Unless unless you me, you take four and then you, you regret it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean if you so... want to regret it the morning after, that's fine. Take as many as you want. I, but... the... The 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 general idea for me was if I have a lot of prowlers, I can I can put the batsworms behind my opponent's ranks. Therefore, all of the prowlers trap trap my opponent, and I get the plus three to wound. But yet yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, that's so. a way to end up with a lot of dead bats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did find it useful to basically just throw a bat against a hero and rage, and then basically force the hero to always strike. Otherwise, they will lose the fight. So if you if you have plenty of them, that's 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 feasible. But yeah, generally you want two, and maybe a third one at like seven fifty eight hundred. Yeah. So as I was saying before, uh, pretty much at the start of this conversation, um, the thing is with with this list that there are a lot of variants that you can take. You will obviously always need Musgur and Druzag, but then it's like. Your third and fourth heroes, they could be a captain and a shaman, or it could be Ashrak and, and a shaman, or Ashrak and a captain, or Ashrak and a, and, a, and I don't know, maybe maybe World War Chieftain and a shaman or something like that. So uh, there's there's obviously a lot to think about there. And then depending on that, you have to decide how many spiders, how many prowlers, how many goblin warriors, how many orc warriors. And, and so... There isn't really ever a clear-cut answer. Like I've seen so many different versions of this list, and they're all fine to some extent. Okay, so now the question is, how do you build against it, and how do you play against it? Who wants to start? So, I think, I think before we talk about building against it, I mean, we talked about building it um maybe we should maybe we should briefly talk about how this army fights because i think that informs the conversation of how to fight against it um i mean we we, we've talked a bit about this but i think it's it, it it's it's probably worth taking a moment to talk about how how this army kills because it's not this army does not function like most other armies where, you know, the way it kills is either, you know, it's warriors, you know, it, it either kills through a head-to-head battle line or um, it kills by having powerful heroes going in and calling heroic combats and knocking people down. Um, it, it kills through a combination of shooting uh, battle tactics 
battle tactics that split up your opponent. It kills through shooting and ambushes, I think, is how this army really functions. Um, it it shoots at distance with these 18-inch plus one to wound goblin bows that can outrange your opponents because of your opponents can shoot at most 12 inches. Forces the enemy to kind of run forward against you, breaks you up, hopefully getting you to go in different um, directions, and then engages with throwing weapons from prowlers or just regular guys charging in so that you can get a plus, you can take maximum advantage of your ruthless savagery plus one by surrounding chunks of the opponent's army and killing it. Um, and then using your enraged and sometimes invisible spiders to either check or kill your opponent's heroes and basically take them out of the game one way or the other. Am I missing anything, Mick? Yeah, that's about it. Um, the one thing, so the shooting, that's something that everybody's really afraid of in this army because of um, the 18-inch range. But that's also something where I find people maybe are too afraid of sometimes because ultimately, well, I suppose this will go into the very next uh, question of how to beat this army. Ultimately, even even if you have your 12 or 14 bows and they get the plus one to wound, if they move, they, they hit on sixes. So it's kind of like having goblins that haven't moved and don't have the, the special rule, uh, basically hitting on fives and killing on sixes. So, yeah, I suppose we'll we'll, we'll, move, we'll move into that after. But, um, yeah, the, the shooting is key to bring your opponent to you and then yeah. split them up and then use as, as many of your tricks as possible. And, and, and I suppose it... I, I guess one other thing about this army is, and its shooting is because it is so so lower percentage to hit you're hitting on basically fives and sixes um unless you're talking about throwing weapons from the prowlers which are you know useful for kind of a short amount of time before the lines close um but this army rewards players for setting up kill zones in the way that a lot of our other armies don't um and what I mean by kill zones are getting the enemy to move into places on the board where as many of your shots can be felt as possible at one time. And it is really difficult for your opponent to get out of them without exposing themselves to being surrounded and getting hit by the ruthless savagery plus one to wound. And that's, that's where this army is really its strongest is if it can if you can get an opponent into a bad tactical position where there isn't a there isn't a good way to advance and staying stationary isn't an option because you're he's going to get shot apart by all of your your missile weapons that's when this army wins and you know that that arranging that and also being able to take advantage of all of the different moving parts of the tricky enraged and invisible spiders and creatures that this army has, are, those are not easy things to do. Um, this is a this is a powerful list when used by a player who kind of knows how all these moving parts work. But it is not it, this is not a powerful list in the sense that 
you can just hand it to an inexperienced player and say, go kill him and he'll be able to do it. Yeah, it doesn't um, play itself in a way. No, like, it doesn't. You have to know what, you, what you're doing to be able to use it. But when you do know that's... what you're doing, then then it's actually very strong. Mm-hmm. That's that's something I noticed at Nova because some people at Nova were talking about how like, well, a lot of people placed very well with it, but there were a decent number of people who also placed very poorly with it. So it's clearly not about the list's power, but it's about the skill of the player. And that's sort of, I found that to be an odd comparison to make because the list power is directly proportional to the skill of the player. And when the player is skilled, the list is just ludicrously powerful compared to the access that other lists give you because you have so many tools and those tools are basically you're able to use them in any situation. You can kill heroes if your opponent makes one mistake. Um, if you like even outplay them tactically a little bit, you will crush them with your plus one to wound and your surrounding tactics and your throwing weapons and everything like that. Um, and all of the all of the shooting that you have and your uh, constant nighttime bonus means that it is so easy to force people into these tactical situations and just kill tons of models. Um, and on top of that, you've got a horde army that has a ton of fast moving pieces. So for a very experienced competitive player, um, I mean, this is just a field day of options and i think that's why at least for me i feel it's currently the best army in the game because when played right you can do absolutely everything with it and get out of almost anything with it yeah but also that's why if you're if you're new to the game or if you're if, if you're not very aware of what they are what the army is capable of um or you don't have any experience with it like the number of options can become overwhelming and ultimately, you just will be making too many mistakes. It's it's one of those things where if you don't have any options, but but all of your options are solid, then you just then kind of the average thing you do is probably good. But here you have to be making the right place because if you're not, then the army can just get demolished. Yeah, this is this is very much not a beginner army. This is an army where the 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 sum is worth a lot a lot more than you know all of the parts you gotta you gotta put it together and use it right um a, a lot of a lot of armies that people view to be good if you were to to imagine a graph with player skill going this way and effectiveness of the army going upwards a lot of the time the line going sideways is very shallow so as player skill increases, um, the effectiveness of the army doesn't increase as much. And those are usually the armies that a lot of people will will point out as being overly strong. Like, as an example, Host of the Dragon Emperor, well, obviously, if you are not as skilled at the game, you're not going to be nearly as successful as someone who is. It is an army that's very forgiving. Um, Assault on Lothlorien is an army where, as player skill increases, the line skyrockets um, because you are able to 
fully understand and access all of these complicated options that are just better than anything your opponent has. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, you should never forget that these stock troops in this list are either fight two, defense five, or fight three with a two-handed weapon, therefore a minus one on the dual roll and defense four. Um, so, you know, these, these guys will, these guys will die like flies if they get into the, the wrong situation. It's basically Goblin Town, but there's far less of them. Yeah, like, there's, there's less like of half them. of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, they got tricks and you got to figure out how to yeah. use those tricks. Um, but, uh, all right. So let's, let's, let's talk about how to fight against this. Um, so keeping in mind there's three components of this list, I guess there's, there's the shooting. There is the, the numbers combined with the ruthless savagery plus one to wound. If you get out numbered um, and there are, you know, the, the tricky sneaky beasts. So um, let's talk about how you, how you counter those. Start with the shooting. Well, how doth yeah. counter the shooting. Well, if you have more bows and you're able to get into the right position, you can actually outshoot it because ultimately, um, even with the plus one, there's still goblins. They're still only strength two bows. So if they've moved, they will be hitting on sixes, killing on fives generally. And so if you're something like elves and you have the same number of bows, then you're hitting on threes and killing on fives. So very quickly. Hitting on threes? You mean six? Uh, no, threes. You're firing in the dark. Uh, well, yeah, no... but within twelve, you within still 12. Have... Oh, within the twelve. Within 12. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, it's uh, over over twelve. You cannot shoot. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yep, yeah, sorry. It's, yeah. It's siege engines that that fire that hit on sixes. So if you if you do manage to get yourself within twelve, and you have more bows or better bows, chances are you can actually outshoot this army, and that causes a major issue for this army. Yeah. The other thing about this is um, even though they, you know, they can shoot from outside of 12 inches, they still only shoot 18 inches with those bows and they can only go two and a half inches and then shoot, in which case they're only hitting on sixes. Mm -hmm. This is not an army that repositions well. This is an army that tends to want to deploy in one place, have the enemy walk to where it wants to be engaged and then wants to engage it. And if you see this army set up, look for where this army is setting up its kill zone, right? Mm -hmm. Where does it want you to be so they can maximize all the firepower on it? And don't go there. Yeah, um, that's actually exactly how I won one of my last games against it a few months ago. Yeah. Where my opponent just set up kind of in the middle with, with his, uh, with his uh, uh, archers. But because of the of the short range, I just went kind of around it, and I just started poking at, at the other bits of the army. Yeah, I mean, what what this army will tend to do is it will because there's there's a bunch of it, right? I mean, they have they have a a bunch of crappy warriors, and what they get they get out of numbers. And there's only so many bows you can kind of bring to bear on a particular frontage, so they tend to set up in kind of long lines. Um, and hope that you'll attack the middle of the line. Never attack the middle of the line. Always pick one side or the other and go there. And hopefully you can close and engage 
the enemy's left before the right, which is, you know, waddling around at either two and a half or five inches a turn, um, can really bring its its additional bows or its additional numbers to bear. Yeah. Like by the time the, the other side comes, then the, the, the first side is already gone. Right. Um, the, the, the way to really destroy this army is to destroy it in detail where you close and engage because each one of this, you know, what you're going to get is a bunch of kind of like these subgroupings with all these, you know, these little 12 figure war bands. They're like 12 goblins. Um, and, no one of those warbands of 12 figure goblins is a threat to anything. The only the only reason they're a threat is when like all four or five of them come to bear at you at one time. Um, so if you can close with and destroy one of these things at a time, you'll you'll annihilate this army. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the things, especially if you're playing a mounted army, is one of the things you want to do is you know, pick the flank you want to turn, turn that flank with your cavalry, destroy it, and then move in and kill the rest of it. Um, especially in maelstrom scenarios because in maelstrom scenarios the odds are some of this army is not going to end up where it wants to be and you can gang up on that and destroy it first yeah Yeah. i think the um the the terror from shooting really does people a disservice oftentimes when playing against this army because sometimes what you got to do is you've got to go you've got to relax you know if you've got maybe defense five defense six defense seven something like that an army like that that has a decent number of models that has heroic march take your time maybe stay out of 18 inches for a bit and find your opening that doesn't waddle right into the middle of all of their bows and throwing weapons where your army gets demolished find find an angle to get in and then get in that way and work on trying to slowly dismantle the army um because if you run in uh, especially if you have low defense um you will just get utterly demolished sometimes i had a situation where we were playing i think it was like modified storm the camp or something like that no it was modified retrieval and but it had banner points in it as well uh, and I had a Lake Town army without a banner, so I was forced to go in uh, against Dad. And then I think he killed eight models in the first turn of shooting, uh, and just completely demolished me off the board. Um, and and that was partially because I was forced to engage because of the banner, but it was also partially because I walked into his trap. And uh, Well, it was also because I was defense four, but if you you do not want to walk in there, do not walk in there. Yeah, you can, you can, if you walk into the kill zone of this army and it brings everything that can shoot to bear on you, you can easily lose half a dozen models a turn. Yeah. Um, And that's not sustainable unless you're Goblin Town. Um, And if you're Goblin Town, you can do that, right? I mean, if you're Goblin Town, what you're going to do is you're just going to attack all points on the line at the same point and you know, you'll lose a half dozen models the first turn, you'll lose a half dozen models the second turn, you'll lose a half dozen models the turn after that, and then the rest of your 90 models will overwhelm the remains of Assault on Lothlorien. Um, but if you're not a, if you're not Goblin Town, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the other thing is, if you're, like, if your opponent has lower prowlers, then what you don't want uh, to happen is for you to move, then for your opponent to 
come within Prowler throwing daggers range, throw all those daggers, and then next turn win a heroic move, charge you, and throw the, all those daggers again. Because that just that just takes out so many of your, of your front front rank warriors. Yeah, although I mean, at times you have to do that, right? Because if you don't do that, then what well, happens? You know, what happens is uh, you know the you the whole you know. You you come up just outside of six inches. You can't charge him. You get volleyed with bows. Next turn, you move within six inches. You know you, the enemy resets, so you're still outside of six yeah. inches, and it all happens again. Um, so at, at a certain point, you have to do it. And and by the way, taking taking the heroic move. You know, once you get with you know, once you've ended your move within six inches, you take your volley of those throwing weapons from the prowlers. You want to be in a position to call the heroic move the next turn, um, and force your opponent to counter, and then hope that you win that roll off, and then you can charge him. Because if you don't, one of two things is going to happen: either he's going to charge you with throwing weapons on the way in, which you don't want to have happen, or even worse. He's going to pull back outside of six inches, and you have to do the whole thing yeah, again to get another yeah. volley. Um, and and that's not great. But all right, so so that's the that's the shooting. I think the takeaway from uh, from dealing with the shooting is close close quickly and do not close within the kill zone. Go outside the kill zone or hit the flank of the army or something like that. Or also, blinding light is surprisingly good if your opponent's probably heavy. If they're just if if they don't really have any prowlers, then hitting on sixes, they don't care about your blinding light. But if they do have a lot of prowlers, then um hitting on fours versus hitting on sixes is massive. And yeah. a prowler heavy list will be smaller than a normal goblin list. I will Even say against this. the archers. Um, because the archers when they don't move compared to when they do move, if the archers move, they basically half yeah. their chances okay. of hitting. Um which will in turn half the amount of kills they're getting, roughly. Um, so if you're playing as this army, you generally want your archers to stay still while shooting, if at all possible. And if you're playing against them, um, forcing the archers to move or just giving the blinding light to reduce those casualties, even if they don't have a lot of prowlers, is super useful. Yeah. And by the way, if you are this army playing blinding light, what you do is you take all your archers, you use them to shoot into the blinding light. Go ahead and move them to you know get better shots if you need to, because you're still getting that plus one if you're shooting from the darkness into the light, plus one to uh, wound. And then you take the rest of your army and your prowlers and you kill everything else that is not hiding within that um, within that six inch zone. And hopefully you've got a scenario like domination where like there's going to be fights outside of that zone. If if you're in if you're in a, if you're playing a scenario where you got to fight shield wall to shield wall, that's you know kind of a different that's a different uh, analysis. But um, all right, so so the next thing is the um, uh, the next thing is how do you how do you deal with those numbers and the ruthless savagery special rule? So the how do you deal with the fact that everyone gets plus one to wound if they gang up on you? I think we've discussed this at least a little bit, which is try and get around and get to the flanks of their armies. Don't walk into the middle of the army and expect everything to go fine and dandy because then you're going to get surrounded and killed. Um, 
So get on the sides of the armies, fight it so that you are using your presumably inferior numbers uh, in a way where they have an advantage. So fight portions of the army. Um, and in the same sense, if you have a horde of models, you know, get in their face and make sure that they don't have any opportunities to to get in and try and trap you. And that I don't I think we've probably mentioned this before on this episode, but larger armies do much better against this army than smaller ones because a lot of the power of uh assault on Lothlorien is the ability to kill heroes um and invalidate heroes and then get in on the big high defense troops and kill them anyways because their defense doesn't matter because they get so many plus ones to wound and if you have a horde that's like either fight three or fight four um it's going to be very powerful against these guys yeah um yeah the by the way um fight for strength for models um can be devastating against this army um especially the prowler variants of this army um because once you actually get in on them um you you outfight them uh so you're winning on ties and then you're killing them on a four up and you know kind of once the prowlers go down and you get into those squishy goblin spearmen behind that's when this army tends to to fall apart so um like something like a um like a Numenorean frontline backed by a line of Moranans is is a really good counter to this particular list. Mm -hmm. With that in uh, mind uh, about fighting as prowlers, uh, it's really key for this army to keep a banner around and really key for for the opponent to kill the banner, because ultimately, if you don't have the banner and you are prowlers. Then one of your guys gets a minus one, the other one just, just rolls one dice. Whilst if you do have a banner behind, then um you can re-roll the dice which um which will uh, uh, uh which is the spe the, the spearman dice. So essentially you will be you will be in positions very often where you effectively get a third roll because you're re-rolling the spearman. So killing the banner is actually is actually key in 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 every possible way if if you can get to it, and so this this army also like starts falling apart once once it doesn't have a banner nearby. If it's prowler heavy, um, very important distinction. So let's talk about the beasties. How do you counter the beasties? And by the beasties, I mean um, primarily spiders enraged invisible or otherwise but also bat swarms um and to the extent they appear ward marauders or wild wards they're enraged well you shoot them first of all because they don't yes, have you do. they, they don't have the, the cave dweller and if you haven't shot them well then just give up and run yeah i mean you you do need to if if ashrak is there you need to have a line of guys behind screening off yeah. your heroes so your heroes don't get trapped and slaughtered from behind. Yeah, uh, you and just I'm... need to like scatter your, your models behind your ranks. 
Yeah, you need it. You need a scattering of guys back there, which unfortunately takes more models off your front line mm -hmm. and exacerbates your pro, you know, your outnumbering problem. But you got to do it, or else you know you're you're going to find that your heroes are getting picked off one by one, um, and then your army is going to go down, or you know your banner is going to get eaten by an enraged spider or or something awful like that, and um, and then you'll go down. But you have to you have to be able to kind of fight in 360 degrees unless you can take Ashrak out of play, which by the way is harder than it sounds because he paralyzes guys that attack him. Um, he always sits, is, sits at the back, so like, yeah, yeah, and he always yeah, he's always hiding at the back somewhere. Um, but you know, maybe you have something that flies that can go hunting him. Um uh or you know, a sorceress blast or something like that. He's also, by the way, somebody if you have like a Saruman in your list, he's also somebody who's worth just just transfixing him, right? And just take him out for a turn that way. Or just blast him. Because he's he's quite easy to wound. And yeah, that's true. Transfixes can... to make it where you just can't fire that turn. But... Yeah, you can't fire that turn, and you can also do it from eighteen inches away, mm -hmm. um, where you need to kind of be in a position to sorceress blast. And I mean, if you sorceress blast him, there's a chance he's just going to get up, dust himself off, and then cast the spell afterwards. Yeah, but then but then he will have been moved backwards. He may be out of range if if maybe if, maybe not if he went far. But you know, if you transfix him, it's it's generally an easier. Yeah. spell to to get off and you know he's got to he's got to resist that right with some of his will so Which either he resists it or he's gonna want to do <laughs> yeah either resists it or it just you know kind of gets through but anyway he's one of those key because if you can take him out of play even for a turn or two you can take those guys that are protecting your ranks and send them toward the front to do more useful things um so it's worth you know if if you've got somebody like a saruman or a wizard or something like that, they can just kind of throw off a transfix. He may be, may well be the guy you want to do. Um, so yeah. what if what if your opponent has both Druzag and Ashrak? Who do you transfix? Uh I think well, I think you I gen so Go I'm ahead. gonna interject for a second. I generally do do neither. Um what what I like to do, at least with my spellcasters, um and I think I did this against Devin um, to pretty all right results uh, because my Galadriel refused to cast a spell like almost that entire game. But basically what you do is you prey on one spider or one bat and you compel them over the lines or you compel them around, you swamp them with your hero and then you protect him with warriors. You kill that one guy. Then next turn, you move on to the next guy. You kill that one guy. Mm -hmm. And you do it in a way where they're transfixed, so there's no way this hero is going to die. And they're completely obscured from um, from any assassination attempts because you've pulled them behind your line, and they're completely protected by troops. And once you start chipping away at those at those bats and those spiders. You don't really care about the wargs. You just care about the bats and the spiders. Um, you can start dealing with them that way. And I found that to be much more effective than trying to transfix um, Drew's Hag and Ashrak because that, that transfix is like a temporary stopgap, right? Sure. Like it's going to stop them once and it's only stopping them if you have priority and you know you're not actually uh 
you're not actually doing anything proactive against the beasts. Um, so you still need to be careful with your heroes because next turn they might get swamped and killed. Um, so I personally, when I play against them, I like to be a bit more proactive with my spells and try and safely take out the key monsters like bats and spiders. See, I yeah, find so... actually that if 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 you don't have priority and you have a caster, that's better for you. Because whatever whatever they send forward, whatever they enrage, you can just transmit that. Unless that it's invisible. True. Unless it's invisible. Though that yeah. that does that does still support my point of casting on the actual beasts mm -hmm. instead of casting on the casters. Yeah. I, so this may come down to whether you have priority or not. If 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 the player if you if you have priority and the player has been cagey and he hasn't put his at least his spiders in a place where they can be kind of hauled over the battle line and jumped on and he hasn't placed his bats someplace where they're within you know six inches of the battle line where they can be hauled over and jumped on um which he may not have done you're not necessarily going to have that option and even if you just going to transfix one of the spiders there may be three more waiting in line. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, but you're right. If what, ha you know, if, if you've lost priority, the other guy goes first and he's enraged one particular spider and sent it in by God. Yes. That's the one that you transfix. Um, if, if, if you don't have a chance to jump a spider or a bat, but you know, you could still get an invisible spider that's going to run through the lines and come up behind somebody, then maybe you want to, um, transfix uh, Ashrak or or Druzak. Probably Ashrak because he's the one who can make that guy penetrate your lines and get around behind. But that's a that's a good point with a priority um that that what Evan's suggesting works better if you've lost priority. It may be that the preemptive strike on one of the casters works better if you've won priority. Mm -hmm. So uh, so at the moment we're seeing that Casters are useful. Larger numbers are useful. Yeah, a lot of both is useful. Yeah. Uh, look, but you know, which is not, by the way, to take anything away from Evan's point, that what your heroes want to be doing is killing off these monsters one way or the other. Um, because there are no there are no killy heroes in this army for your heroes to go after, and it's probably not a productive use of their time and resources to like kill one or two random prowlers a turn. Um, but you do want to have your heroes, you know, once, once the spiders and the bats get committed, um, that's who you try and kill, right. With your heroes. Cause you aren't, even if you trap a bat, you're not going to kill it in one turn, but a hero can trap a bat if they kill it in one turn or if they, or a hero can kill a bat if they trap it in one turn. Um, uh, and that is, you know, that's, that's kind of what you want your heroes to be doing when you're fighting against this army list is their job is to kill off the monsters. And once they've done that, then they can start to hunt down, um, you know, the enemy heroes to get the points, you know, either by killing the army leader or whatever it is they need to do. Well, the thing is, if you, if you, if you manage to kill the, the monsters, then you're probably in a really good spot. Yeah, no, that's the thing. If you kill off the monsters from this list, then it becomes a much easier list to deal with. Um, but I mean, the same thing with the casters, right? I mean, if you can kill off their casters in particular, if you can kill off Drizag and, and Ashrak, um, you know, the, 
the whole scary beastie thing disappears. Yeah, even even just Drew's hack. Yeah. Um, because yeah. Ashrak Ashrak only has that one might point to half right. the fight value. And even if you get like a bat swarm and a spider in or a, a, an invisible spider in, they're work. probably not going to kill the model anymore because they're not enraged. Yeah. So I think if you're trying to to stop the army or the army's killing power that way, I think Drew's Hag is your number one target. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you, but keep in mind that's not more. easy. Right? Yeah. Drew's is gonna be hiding far behind the lines with lots of goblins between him and you. So it's going to take a long time for you to get your heroes to hack their way into him. Whereas they can generally call her a combat, get in on a spider and kill it once the spiders get committed. Yeah, I think, um, remind, have I mentioned throwing weapons against them and throwing spears yet? No, not against them. No. Okay. So yeah, this, this is another, set of armies that can be pretty effective against them are armies that also have throwing weapons that maybe even have more throwing weapons. So if you've got a grim hammer, heavy air list, which also is doubly effective because their defense is pretty high, so they can take a couple of shots. Um, so yeah, an Erebor list, the foot Rohan lists are really good at this too. Just taking a swarm of throwing spears. They're even better because they actually outrange the prowlers. So they can oftentimes outshoot um, the goblins and not only outshoot them, but do so reliably and in a sustainable way. Because if you move your archers within 12 inches of the goblins and you're outshooting them, they're going to move into six inches pretty quickly and start throwing stuff at you. But if you outrange them with throwing weapons, you can often pretty reliably outshoot them and keep outshooting them and use your six inches of movement to outmaneuver them whilst outshooting them. Um, so if you're really just sick of these armies, then consider taking uh, a lot of throwing weapons or lists that have a lot of throwing weapons in them. Yeah, that's yeah. what I noticed in the UK. There's a lot of people playing things like Theodore's Guard. You have you have a lot of throwing weapons. You have a lot of troops. You have uh, 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 you have your fight ball all over the place. Um, mounted lists also can be really good against these as long as you have the right board to fight on. Obviously, you don't want to fight these guys on a board covered with buildings and woods with a mounted list because they'll just hide in all the buildings in the woods and shoot you to pieces from them. But on an on a relatively open board, or in a scenario where they have to like come out and play, like a you know, like a hold ground or something like that. Um, the mounted lists allow you to, you can pick apart this army pretty well because it waddles along. So you can, you can go and kill a warband a turn of this army with your mounted list. Yeah. Um, the, the the other thing that this, this army struggles against is terror because ultimately um, you do have your shaman. So that's fine against terror, uh, against surgeon lists. But if the terror is backed by the Witch King or any other Ringwraith that might be able to take out the Shaman's will, then the Prowler version has to pass courage in order to charge, in order to throw. So that significantly reduces their effectiveness. And then, and the normal Goblin version, or, or or just like any version, the thing the thing is with with uh, Goblin armies in general. In the uh, in in a, in a standard goblin army, you don't really care about terrorists so much because 
do you have enough models that eventually someone's going to pass and you're going to get into combat? But this army is smaller than 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 your average massive goblin horde. So if you're failing your courage test to charge, eventually you may struggle to be able yeah. to bring enough models in. I mean, less less so if you've got the prowler heavy version of this, because if you don't charge, it's like all right, I'll just stand here and throw my throwing weapon. Yeah, but then but then they will charge you. Then they'll charge you. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so then or you you throw or you, a weapon or you back out of range. Get... <laughs> yeah, the point is that they don't get their throwing weapons throwing on, weapon the on the charge, way which in. is yeah. pretty big. Yeah, because yeah. fair point. They because you know you don't have the minus one, um, uh, to hit when you're charging in with throwing weapons. So that's oftentimes a lot of where yeah. prowlers get their kills and they lose that option. Yeah. yeah uh, especially, especially if there's witch king around and, and your, and your shame, shaman has been sapped. Um, it's, it's going to be situations where, okay, you might, you might get a goblin in, but then another goblin might fail. And then, and then your prowler actually gets surrounded by, by two enemies. Yep. So it becomes really sketchy at that point. So anything, so, um, that's why, like, armies like Black Nemorians are actually really strong against this. Yeah, fair point. Okay. All right. Any last thoughts? I mean, I mean, it's a it's a good list, but it has its its, its weaknesses. Like, there's yeah. there's some major weaknesses in it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like like we've said, this is a list that all. All of us have lost lost to, but I mean, this is an army that I've tabled on more than one occasion. Um, yeah, same. Because it's you know if it's if, if it's if it's in the hands of a new player or gets into a situation where it's forced to kind of fight disjointedly, it can get it can get picked apart. Um, and I've you know I've had that happen to me once or twice when I've played this army too. Is uh, you know if you if you can't bring this entire army to bear on your opponent at one time, um, you're going to have some, some real problems. And there are a bunch of scenarios that kind of force that. So um, this is like, like divide and conquer is the, is the nemesis of this particular army. Cause there's, there's no way around that. Um, and, you know, if you have a cavalry army against this, this army and divide and conquer, you've got some real opportunities to, to take it down. So all righty. Oh. Well, thanks, everybody. So we should let people know, um, as, as I'm sure people are aware, our podcasts have become somewhat more erratic for a variety of reasons. And um, I think most of us are, are undergoing some um, some life changes. Uh, um, Renair is in the process. You know, Renair has moved from Honduras to California. Shortly, he'll be moving again to the Netherlands. Um, so uh, Renair is mobile. Uh, Rob and I have both changed jobs with all of the um, stress and scheduling issues that that uh, causes. Evans getting set to head off to college. Um, Mick is, I think, still in his, uh, you know, his his I'm occupation is unreliable because of my has, occupation. <laughs> yeah, his occupation has picked up again, and Devin has turned into a large letter D, um, which causes a whole <laughs> bunch of different problems. So. Yeah, for anyone listening on the Spotify, they're gonna be like so confused. They're gonna be like, did he just call him a douchebag or something? <laughs> no, he's a D. <laughs> he's literally the letter of the D. <laughs> yeah, right. As far as as far as I can tell, all of us are gonna be at Articon this year. Yeah, I think so. Yep. So um, get your tickets yeah, for right. Articon. 
And we Everybody will else. see you there. <laughs>